welcome to Blue Royalty, a London-based blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women. We've been gone for approximately two weeks, I think, uh, reveling in the enjoyment of winning four consecutive WSLs, but we thought enough time has passed, we need to go back and sunbathe in the glory of the season that has just gone, um, as I've been doing with the fantastic weather that has been in England at the moment. Uh, so to look back on the 2022-23 season, I am joined by Ollie Glanville. And Ollie, the thing is, we're here, and okay, we probably could have done this episode sooner, but we didn't. Um, and it being Chelsea, that means we've already been gazumped as we look back on next year by some very cool news for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cat Mac is here, as I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and <laughs> try and coin that phrase before it it gets anywhere. But it's yeah, it's it's great news um, for anyone who's listening and hasn't checked any social media feed anywhere. What have you been doing? Um, Katarina Macario has uh, signed for Chelsea on a free from Leon. Um, it's wonderful news. It is the replacement we kind of all knew was coming right for a long, long time. But it's lovely to get that confirmation. And yeah, there are already some really exciting interactions on socials that I'm looking forward to see on the pitch. Yeah, I um, did that thing where I spent every on the hour over the past couple of days, like after Leon announced that she was leaving and she did her own like thing saying merci uh, to Leon, I was like checking every hour and then I basically got bored of that. So inevitably the first hour I didn't check, e.g. 10am on Friday morning was when she was announced uh, totally classic um the question i've got ollie on this is chelsea led with this with emma hayes doing her purring thing from the fa cup and i'm now convinced this could have been like an 18 month long social media setup i know jonas started it but maybe jonas was in on it like could we have been doing this build up for the whole time i i kind of want that to be true I mean, we we do know that Emma does like 14D chess, right? So I wouldn't put it past her. I also wouldn't put it past her to have put out feelers for Kat like very early on. <laughs> so I think this move has been a very long time coming. As with most Chelsea women moves, it's like a very obvious move to make, but also a very big statement move to make. And yeah, it feels like everyone's pulling in the same direction. Yeah, it's a, a really exciting signing. Obviously, we've kind of known about it for a while. And then there's also this strange feeling whereby, you know, Kat's not going to the World Cup. She's recovering from an ACL injury. So who knows how long it will be until we actually see her play in a Chelsea shirt. Um, but listen, like, I mean, most people will know, I'm sure if you don't know, she's an incredibly exciting player. Um, she very much feels like the most obvious option you could get to replace Harder, but equally she's her own player in her own right. Um, we will do an in-depth episode for you on Macario at some point this week. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll have loads more details on that if, if you want to find out more about uh, the way she plays and, and what we can expect. But we won't do all of that now. We will do what we came here for uh, before we got gazumped by that news. Um, and just take a look across the season it's been an incredible season it's been one that I think has only kind of sunk in for me as I've had the time to reflect on it because it felt like 
it was a season that went slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast. And it's only now that you like kind of take the step back and think about what we were able to achieve. Um, so I guess Ollie to kind of kick off where, okay, two questions. Where would be your highlight of the season and where would be your low light of the season? Yeah, I think highlight undoubtedly for me was um, being at the Select Car Leasing Stadium just because it's you know, <laughs> such a beautiful place. But also... <laughs> nothing about the game. Nothing about the game. Yeah. Just that journey from running station. So lovely. Um, no, but <laughs> uh, just serenading Magda one last time um, was wonderful. And to see her lift the trophy and get, get the medal from Millie was a really, really lovely moment. And I'm so like privileged to be there. And it was lovely. Yeah, low light. There are a few really strange ones. <laughs> it was more kind of surreal moments like of the season. Like we'll get into it, but like right from the off. I mean, we always start slowly, but just like three penalties first game out. Like, okay, this is, this is how we're going to start. Like, <laughs> it's a very strange way of, of going into the season. And there were just kind of moments in there where you thought, okay, yeah, the Chelsea women are, are back and they're going to, they started like purring again. Right. Um, and then we just kind of fell off a cliff form-wise briefly for a couple of weeks. And then, <laughs> like, okay, where are we again? And then straight back into it after after going out in the Champions League. So, yeah, a very kind of weird, surreal, twisty-turny season. Yeah, and I think maybe that's just natural as well when you're a very established team. I think in football, we're very used to narratives whereby teams go on this upwards trajectory, whereas what... Chelsea have done is they've sustained a ridiculous amount of success over a huge number of years so you're not going to get that like constant up and up because domestically at least if you're at the top already there's nowhere to go you could only kind of go down to go back up again and I feel like yeah that's where that's where maybe this Chelsea team ended up this season um I think for me Highlight when I was reflecting on it, I do think it has to be Leon at Stamford Bridge. Um, we'll talk about that game a bit more, but hard to beat that. Low light has to be running the Cambridge half marathon in the morning, getting on a train as soon as the race ended to go to Selhurst Park with my brother, who's an Arsenal fan, to watch us lose 3 1. Um, that was like, that's maybe like a low light to, to reflect over a number of seasons. It was, the low was that low. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, obviously the London's blue guys are here as well. So they, they really, they got the highlight of the Chelsea men's season with the low light of the Chelsea women's season. So I, it's a pretty spectacular way to play a, a trip to London. I think it's not what you'd have expected from a trip to London this season, to, to be honest. Um, but Ollie, yeah, you've already referenced it. First game of the season we played. I guess maybe we haven't even... I didn't put this in the script or think about talking about this, but I feel like actually for me, the season starts when we played that preseason game against Leon, and we looked amazing. And then we get into the WSL season and we play this game and it's like incredibly, incredibly bad. Yeah, just so many basics that went, <laughs> just went wrong like our kind of 
defensive line was all over the place. Like it looked like we had like five midfielders and one centre back at one point. It was just like it just completely all over the place. And exactly how you don't want to play against the newly promoted side, just like gifting them all these random opportunities. And so like deeply un-Chelsea in the way we sort of carried it out. Not in terms of it being early in the season when we know we're very rusty coming into it. But as you say, just off the back of pretty much sweeping aside Leon for about 60 minutes and then falling off a cliff after we made multiple subs. Yeah, going into it and thinking, wow, like we've really, you know, we're going to ride a crest, crest of a wave here and then just kind of <laughs> immediately crashing back down to earth all the headlines about, oh, it, you know, Chelsea women in transition because we can't forget that we made a lot of signings last summer and we lost some massive heads as well, like, you know, losing G and, and people around the dressing room who, you know, were so fundamental to what you think about in terms of Chelsea women. It's going to be similar going into next season as well. So, yeah, it, there were a few kind of early flags, right? It, it was a sort of, how is this back three weird sort of pseudo system going to work um you know with would Kadisha and and Millie work out would it work out with Magda like how is it going to play out and yeah the the kind of issues we were facing against just like Katie Stengel in general um just like marking one player with between three of them was was yeah a bit of a worry and it was sort of like oh a bit unsettling for the rest of the season but yeah we kicked on from we did. Uh, Julie Flatty still claims that the penalty that she gave away in the third minute wasn't a penalty, which I think is extra given that she actually went on to win the game. Um, but yeah, it was, I think it was crazy because actually there's been a couple of games like this. I guess the Conti Cup one is the one that stands out where we've gone 1-0 up very early on and you think, great, we're cruising um, against teams that you're kind of expected to beat. Like I think it's fair enough to say that even with the Arsenal game, when you went 1-0 up, you I thought we'd win um that more fool me um but yeah for Katie Stengel to come back and score those two penalties and just pure chaos in the back line this was when we had Kadisha Buchanan as the left-sided centre-back an experiment that I'm glad didn't last for a huge amount longer um and I think there was just this sense of like history repeating itself in terms of we had the offside goal that I think was onside that we scored in this Liverpool game, obviously when we lost to Arsenal last season. Beth Mead was offside when she scored her goal. Um, but it was interesting, Ollie, and Emma Hayes referenced this actually, uh, talking about the Conti Cup and this first game of the season thing, that, you know, something I, we're going to talk talk about here is these patterns that have kind of come up for the team. And you get to the end of the season, and it doesn't matter because you've won the double and, like, I can't, I definitely can't care less about losing the first game of the season. In fact, I kind of find it an amusing footnote uh, in that we get to say we gave everyone a three-point head start and they still couldn't win. Um, Conti Cup, I would have liked to win it, but whatever. Um, but is this something we should be concerned about? Like, Liverpool and Arsenal, they're very... Di I'm wary of building too much of a narrative around it because we went to play Arsenal at the Emirates with a team who'd been loads of the... Top players have been at the Olympics. We couldn't start those players. We kind of got mugged off. This Liverpool game, it's a little bit different, but equally, some of the penalty decisions against us 
not Julie Flatties. Um, I still think we're a bit harsh. But is this is this something you worry about the players making something of in their head, given that there are all these differences between the games? Yeah, a little bit. I, I do think I do think it's symptomatic of our entire season, actually, as a whole, that we tend to start seasons slowly. And then Emma Hayes makes a change at half time of the actual season. <laughs> and we see we see how fundamentally different a kind of tactically astute and switched on and positionally understood team uh can work. And then you get run in Chelsea. Yeah. So this is like this is kind of how we work. And it it's sort of a if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of thing. So if we started next season with like a 7-0 win against, you know, a, a struggler, you'd sort of go, hold on a minute. Are we... Are we supposed- you're saying you're concerned. You'll be concerned <laughs> yeah. if we win the first game of the WSL next season. That's what I'm hearing. I'd be absolutely devastated if we did that. <laughs> Sorry, we did not read the script. <laughs> this is not our brand. Exactly. Play to the brand, play to the crowd. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's very interesting that that happens. I would like to point out that we perennially play by far the most games of pretty much any English club um, because we tend to go the furthest in Europe. We tend to go to both cup finals every single year. And obviously we play every game in the league. That being said, we do obviously have a massive squad, but there was a lot of turnover. And as you say, we couldn't even play a lot of our Olympic returnees. So... Yeah, <laughs> there there were reasons to be concerned, but I think we can look back and laugh, as you said. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see next year. I will also say the caveat on this game is that we were meant to play West Ham at Stamford Bridge uh, until the Queen died. Um, and while that benefited me, because I was actually on holiday and going to miss that game, I don't think it benefited Chelsea. And in the end, we can say me and Chelsea Football Club both won because we won. Um, but I still think we would have ended this cur- first game curse before it even begun, I think, if we'd had West Ham at Stamford Bridge, given how rubbish they were all season. All right, we will take a quick ad break here, and when we come back, Ollie and I will each pick our favourite slash most important games from the WSL season. Okay, Ollie, you are the guest, so I will give you first pick. I told you not to tell me what what one you've gone for but which is the game that kind of most stood out for you will most resonate with you when you look back on this season from from the WSL specifically I think yeah both Arsenal matches in the league for me were like massively important I mean Sam Kerr's goal at the Emirates probably single-handedly was for me the most important goal in the WSL because it just felt especially like literally until it went in that, oh, something might be going wrong here. <laughs> and as soon as that goal went in, I thought, no, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to run this back. And then obviously in the return leg at, at Kings Meadow, Magda and the kind of poetically beautiful moment there, that, that for me was just a wonderful way to seal it, knowing that we were going to go to Reading and all the baggage that they have with them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah those two for me I think you've already taken Leon so I'm not going to go with that <laughs> well this is it's a WSL specific section to be fair so you would have been Ill- ineligible to pick Leon uh, yeah the, I think the Arsenal game is the Arsenal away game 
is the one that I will really remember just because one, Sam's celebration was iconic. Two, scoring in that time period where you think it's done. It is like one of the best feelings in the world. Three, it was my birthday party and I was prepared to be fuming that we'd lost. Um, so that whole like combination of things I think was was really important. Um, I guess similar to you, the, the home and away games as a package that stood out to me were the United ones. Uh, the United home game was so dry uh, and made drier, I think, by by how amazed I was that United couldn't figure out what Chelsea were doing. Um, but obviously winning 1-0 there. The away game, I also feel like stood up because I was in Madrid for it because I went to watch the Clasico so I was watching it in the car park of the Alfredo Di Stefano Stadium on a phone. Um, but that really felt like a game where it was earlier in the season. And I think the question marks around the way Chelsea were playing did come later. But it felt like um, a real opportunity to... United have this upstart quality to them. You know, like that they're kind of the, the new kids on the block. And I think that... 3-1 win was like a real like especially with LJ scoring like you know we came and kind of took what was ours brought her home that this was like her first proper season playing for us um and really showed kind of what we're about uh but this is just preamble to the game I actually really want to pick which is the 7-0 against Everton just because that was the moment where I was like we will win the league that was the point where it felt like it all really clicked and I think from then on I, I really didn't have any doubt that we would go go through, even though we still had Arsenal to play. It just felt, Ollie, in that moment, like everyone was so attuned to what they had to do. And you've already referenced running Chelsea TM, but there's just something like watching them play that game against Everton that you see what a well-oiled machine this team could be when they have this very direct goal in front of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I it might be a bit random to say, but I think that 15 minutes before half time was probably Penil Harder's best 15 minutes at Chelsea. <laughs> it was like she she was literally just superwoman. Like she literally was just bursting through, completely unstoppable, like assisting Jesse, scoring herself. Um, I think did she even did she assist Sophie Ingle as well? I'm, I can't remember off the, top, off the top of my head, but it was just like Everton had no answer whatsoever. And it, it, they, they'd been on a decent run as well. This is the thing. Like coming into the game, there was talk of like, okay, well, you know, we've got Arsenal to come. So, but this could still be a banana skin, right? And that kind of 15 minutes spell where we scored three times after Sam made it 2-0 was like, it was just all encompassing. <laughs> just felt like we're now on the run in. We're all tuned in and we're not going to be stopped from this point onwards. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that whole run in added up to, as you've already referenced, a trip to the select car leasing to finish off the WSL season to be crowned champions for the fourth time in a row. It was a strange ending. Um, again, well, putting this episode together I went back and looked what we did for last season's episode um 
And obviously that was the United game. And I was struck by how big the difference between these two endings of the season felt, Ollie, because that United game was scary. There was like a genuine point where I thought we were going to lose the league and therefore as a result, kind of the comeback within that game, the quality of the goals that were scored, all of that felt like an incredible high to end the season on. Whereas this game was... There were so many different emotions as a result. You know, there's obviously happy with the win, this weird touch of sadness about sending Reading down, who I think are a team that lots of people like and justifiably so and lots of people really respect Kelly Chambers you had sort of Magda and Penilla leaving and I think they're not that like when other players left last year it wasn't emotional because I think it was but I think their centrality to the team and and Magda in particular um made that emotion feel even more heightened um so it was a weird kind of energy at Reading like this kind of Chelsea takeover at a ground where there was some sort of like underlying mourning in process. Yeah, I mean, you could literally count on your fingers the Reading fans opposite us, right? We had what like six thousand Chelsea fans, maybe, um, in on one side, and it very much felt like a, a home game, and almost like a, a procession to the extent that you know the PA announcer was saying. The, over the tannoy like three minutes before the end of the game that congratulations to Chelsea the worthy champions and you're a bit like okay but there's a football match going on <laughs> what's going on here um it did very much feel like a procession whereas as you say last season we really really earned it on the final day and you know when they say a goal fit to win a league you know Sam Kerr is like dictionary definition of that so you know when Sam headed it in this time, it felt a bit more like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just here to do business. Um, and as I said, it was completely non-negotiable that we did that. <laughs> so I'm glad we did it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The other thing that I took from last year's script for this episode is four consecutive WSL titles. I changed that bit. Never been done before. Where does this team rank among the best sides in WSL history? I think there is a genuine understanding that this Chelsea team hasn't been maybe the best. But, Ollie, how do you see it balancing the fact that there's this record points total, this record number of wins? Like, we've got eyes. We can say that the football wasn't as good as maybe as it's been in the past, but clearly it was more effective because we got more points. Do you think as kind of time goes on and maybe you forget the individual performances, and I'm not saying that's like a good or a bad thing, but that we'll maybe look back on the season with more respect than maybe it's got from from both. Like, I think we can all be agreed that externally there's been a massive amount of disrespect on this Chelsea side. But I think even internally there's, you know, an understandable like temperance around how good they were. Do you think that will change as kind of time goes on? Definitely. I think if we just put our, our non-Chelsea caps on for a second, if, if you want to... <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll take it off. Um, <laughs> but if you actually think about who's challenging us, right? I mean, Man United have, have definitely had their best season ever in the WSL, like completely. 
they they've signed really well i'm not sure how they're gonna you know end up in terms of after the summer but you know ending this season i'm pretty sure they would have won the wsl in in like a number of seasons before in terms of that points total so you know you've got to give us credit if you give them credit right i mean that's the <laughs> that's the hypothesis here if you're playing against a side who is performing at their peak and and they were completely performing at their peak and we still beat them and we still put up a record points total in a season where we're not the best quote unquote and sam kerr doesn't score the amount of goals that you'd expect her to score even though she matched her <laughs> goals record then you know by that logic you then have to give us credit right yeah i think for me well i guess what the conclusion i've kind of come to from thinking and talking about it a lot is it might not have been the best football and it might not have been the most amazing individual performances but it's the best team performance in terms of using a whole squad and i actually wrote about this before the final day um but i feel like so justified in it in terms of there's long been this weird accusation that Chelsea hoard players, which to me is you sign talented players and they want to come and play for your club because you've got a great manager and you actually pay people fucking money to play football, unlike a number of clubs that don't. Um, but this was the season that I think has to end any of that in terms of everyone in the squad apart from Emily Orman, sorry, Emily Orman, stepped up and played minutes um, and had an impact. And this this whole season, but the WSL win in particular, doesn't happen because, okay, like we're going to move on and we'll talk about Champions League. And, and that was a team which had a very set, ele you know, 11. And those results, I think, reflect a lot more clearly on a group of 13, 14 players. But the WSL win was all about rotation and it was all about actually keeping people fit for things like the Champions League and have giving those other players opportunities and I think that's why in some ways I enjoyed it so much more because it was about it felt like the longer combination of Emma Hayes and Paul Green's project at Chelsea in terms of building a squad where you can have every player in it come into the team and and make an impact and I think that's what I hope will stand out when we look back on, on this season in years to come. Um, okay, that wraps up our WSL look back. We'll take another quick ad break here. And then when we come back, we will delve into the cup competitions. Obviously, Ollie, the, the Champions League did finish on uh saturday in a, a very entertaining end i must say uh, i did i did really enjoy it um it didn't disprove my notion that actually barcelona chelsea was the the final in terms of quality but uh, <laughs> i enjoyed watching it nonetheless um if we look back on the the group stage which now feels like an incredibly long time ago i don't think you could have got a more different group stage this season to last it was an an equally tough group, if not a tougher group, potentially. Um, but whereas last season we bombed out in spectacularly embarrassing fashion, this, I've just characterised it as minimal fuss in terms of it wasn't spectacular, 
it wasn't something like people were going to talk and talk about, but every game, they just got it done. Why was this year so different to last year, do you think? I think we just set the agenda from the off, right? I think there was no... We just dispelled any doubts uh, that people would have with us against PSG in that in that kind of in their way leg, especially um, that one nil for me was like completely what I associate with this Chelsea team in the EWCL this season. Um, just completely clinical when we needed to be professional really solid at the back like unbelievably solid and that was the case throughout the group stage and then you know to be honest even through Barca I mean they only they only scored twice against us how many teams can say that um <laughs> so it was one of those things um but yeah for me it it just felt it felt like this was it sounds a bit silly given that we went to the final but it felt like this was another kind of coming of age of a new Chelsea women's setup in the in the competition because before it's felt like we've needed it to be completely exceptional to get to the latter stages of this competition. Whereas this time we just went about our business. We were just professional. We, you know, we absolutely destroyed Villas. <laughs> and and to to be honest, you know. Deservedly so, obviously. But yeah, in terms of Real and um, PSG, we basically just kept them at arm's length. I mean, on paper, it, it as you say, it did look like a very tough group, but we went through it with minimal fuss. And that's all you can ask for from this group stage. And I would like to add thank you to Barcelona for not <laughs> ensuring that we have to play however many more games through August and September and we can go straight to the group stage again next season. That's true. Uh, I want to thank Barcelona so that we go straight through to the group stage. And I want to thank Wolfsburg for fucking up because there was a point when they were tuning up where I thought, oh my God, we are just fucking shit clearly against Barcelona because everyone else can smash them in a Champions League final. But it's fine. Uh, Wolfsburg did what Wolfsburg have been liable to do this Champions League and give up a two goal lead. Um Actually, Ollie, I think the the way you talked about the group stage leads really well into into the quarterfinal against Lyon in terms of a professional performance. And I think when we're comparing it to to the run to the final in in twenty twenty one, I think it's the control that that stands out for me in terms of imposing a game plan and not caring that it's not the most exciting thing in the world but being like, we're going to play it our way. And I think that was the big difference to me in this Champions League run compared to previous, whereby it felt like against Atleti, Wolfsburg, Bayern, when we reached the final, it felt like games happened to us and we were bailing out water to stay into those games, like, if we're honest. Uh, and it worked and we still reached the final, um, but... They they're not games that I feel like I'll I'll look back on and be like, wow. I in some ways, even though those games were more exciting and there were more goals and they had a better outcome, these were the games where I felt like, okay, I'm watching us say like we're equal to these teams and we're gonna play how we want. Even though it was like kind of brutal in its own way. Um, 
but as we've said before, like, you know, this is a, a club that <laughs> was once managed by Jose Mourinho. Like, we're not bothered about that kind of that kind of st- thing. Um, and, and I think the Leon away leg in particular really... I think people will look at the Barcelona games as summing that up, but the Leon away leg was maybe the most successful version of that in that we won. Um, and also, crucially, the Leon home leg doesn't happen if we don't win 1-0 in the away leg. Yeah, absolutely. I'd argue that like one and three, maybe four fifths <laughs> of the Leon games were were pretty perfect. I mean, it's it's such a massive credit to us that you go into that game against Leon. You know, Leon, the the perennial winners of the Women's Champions League, and you know you don't go in there as favourites, no matter what you know is happening at Leon, no matter if they don't have Cat Macario or you know players out injured. You know, and we we had lots of players out injured as well. I might add, um, but it was just a thoroughly professional performance. Um, and you thought basically until they scored in you know seventy seventh minute that <laughs> we completely deserved to go through probably one nil. And no, I don't think anyone would have argued with that. I think if it had ended nil nil and we'd gone through uh, with that one go right in goal from the away leg. I don't think anyone could have argued, least of all Leon. So when they scored, it was like, hold on a minute, what's this about? <laughs> this fuming. Isn't... Exactly. Absolutely fuming, to, to say the least. And then obviously when De Vrit scores, you're fearing the worst. But it gave us like one of the seminal, beautiful moments of, of Marin's career here with that penalty. Because you literally, you could not have handpicked a Chelsea women's player better for that situation. It feels like she was literally made to to take that penalty in that situation. And then the first penalty of the shootout is um, like unbelievable. And both of them were absolutely perfect as well, I might add. Yeah, the time in between Marin taking the penalty to send it to penalties and then the first penalty of the penalty shootout, I wish you could do some kind of thing that was going on in her head I'm sure it'd have been like cool as fuck because I don't think you'd take two penalties like that but just an utterly insane turnaround uh the amount of time she had to wait as well to take the first one literally ice in her veins um and I think for me as well that whole penalty shootout that whole game I know we played again at Stamford Bridge after that but it felt like the moment that the women's team really needed at Stamford Bridge because I think before the like the relationship that the club had with that ground just was nothing compared to King's Meadow and I still don't think it really does compare to King's Meadow but I think like creating those memories there like listen this team aren't going to play less games at Stamford Bridge in the future like they need to build something there and I think Ollie, obviously, you go to Stamford Bridge a hell of a lot, a lot more than I do, uh, for sure. Um, but it's such a special place. And how important do you think it was, was that, especially, I guess, in a season where Stamford Bridge didn't have a huge amount of amazing moments, uh, for the women's team to get like such an iconic um, experience there? Yeah, I mean, you know, walking out, um, after that kind of explosion of emotion, you were talking to people who that was their first game. That was their first women's game. And you're talking about like 60 year old men <laughs> or like, you know, season ticket holders at, at Stamford Bridge who are largely older 
and male, I might add. <laughs> and they were massively bought in. That was them. You know, they were saying, this is Chelsea. This is a Chelsea team. That was a Chelsea Champions League night. You know, it's up there with, you know, your Napoli at home or Barcelona, the 4-2, the iconic, you know, <laughs> moments of Ronaldinho and, and coming up against adversity and things like that. That kind of link is absolute like gold dust. And, you know, you, you talk about one club mentality. Well, that's only going to happen when everyone buys into it and when when you get like season ticket holders for the for the men's team as well as all the wonderful perennial support we have in the women's team and the, and the season ticket holders and the supporters group that fosters that one club mentality and then when you get the amazing explosion of emotion with with Marin when she slots the penalty home on 128 minutes and everyone is roaring and you just think yeah like I, I've been, I've been to Stamford Bridge on on Champions League nights, like iconic Champions League nights, like Bayern Munich at home, Napoli at home, and it did feel up there. Like emotionally, it it was like a proper, you know, it, it was exactly how you'd expect, right? There was no, it, it always, there's always this, oh yeah, but it's it's this, right? But it's it's not that. <laughs> this is like completely the best team at the football club right now. Yeah. And it has been for many years, in my opinion. <laughs> there's there's the, like the the kind of nostalgic take we have of the Chelsea men's team needs to be brought back. But this is undeniably an elite team and needs to be respected like that. And moments like this, bring it to the limelight and put it in a, on the pedestal as it should be. Yeah, and it is interesting. I think the atmosphere at the Lyon game was so much better than the one that came next at Sanford Bridge, the Barcelona home game. Um, and I think that's to a lot of things. I I just think evening games have better vibes, just generally, than a, a 12.30 kickoff. But look, there were 12,000 more people at Stamford Bridge for the Barcelona game than there were for the Lyon game. And that's, that's non-coincidental, like, in my mind. Um, and I think next year, like, hopefully we'll just build on that even more. Uh, but let's talk about the semifinals. Um, I feel conflicted about this, Oli, because I do get into this mindset of being like, it's so amazing that we ran Barcelona so close. And then I'm like, yeah, but you fucking lost. Um, and I think for me, the, the Camp Nou game was, like, amazing. It was an insane dream to watch Chelsea play there in front of that many people. Um like Barcelona is the city that I absolutely love. So just on a personal level, I had a blast because I thought we were going to lose 4-0. But what can we take from from the semi-final? We didn't win. You don't get points for almost beating Barcelona. But we ran Barcelona closer than a lot of other teams have done in recent years. How important do you think that is for the future? I think hugely. I think you think back to the Champions League run where we beat Wolfsburg and I think I, I said it at the time, it just felt like like breaking that that curse. You know, we talk about the first day curse and the Quantity Cup curse, which we'll come on to. But uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> to me, it felt like we, we lost that hoodoo from us. Right? It, we know we can go toe-to-toe with Barcelona. We knew we could go toe-to-toe with Leon, even in pre-season as as silly as that sounds 
we were stepping up against them and saying, this is how we want to play. Come and beat us. It wasn't a case of like, you know, we we're going to play all open and, you know, our, our best possible football, because I think that would be a ludicrous idea against Barcelona. And that's how they pick you apart. I think at times maybe we were too humble in our play and we didn't kind of press them as much as, we, as we'd like. But, you know, that's part of the kind of anxiety of playing in a Champions League semi-final. You're never going to get past that. But I think what we can stick with most, you know, sitting behind the goal um, when uh, Graham Hansen scored. Um, and it just felt like that was the one moment we made like a big error. And, and we we allowed her inside and allowed her a free shot. And it's almost like if we had deployed that perfect game like we did away in Lyon, or arguably away in Barcelona, then, you know, we might have been in the final. And that's that's just what you take away from it. It's little moments. And moments in elite football are everything. You know, you can you can be on top of the world and then two minutes later you're done for. You know, ask Bayern Munich in their own stadium. So, you know, this is <laughs> this is what happens. Um but yeah, I think we can take a lot of credit. And Emma will talk about those tiny moments, those little mistakes. And that's what we can take forward. Yeah, I think it is I think it's a really good point. It's very easy in to build big narratives around Champions League performances. Um when at that level stuff can happen very quickly. Chelsea know that. Barcelona know that, like, just look at their performances in, in finals, you know. For all of the Barcelona will fall up against Chelsea within a half, Barcelona have, like, conceded in three Champions League finals, what, 10 first half goals? Um, and okay, they turned the most recent one around, but those things, like, things happen fast at that level of football and... I'm not saying like this means Chelsea is good as Barcelona and blah, 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 because I think that's true. Um, but I think also how we write the winners of these competitions is, you know, I mean, we're recording this before Manchester City play uh, another Manchester City men play another Champions League final. And, you know, it'd be ridiculous to say they're not a good team based on whether or not they've won the Champions League. Clearly they are. Um, I think what was really important from that game from a Chelsea perspective, again, was, I guess, what I've touched on already, but that sense of, like, we're here to play how we want to play. We're missing a fuck-ton of important players for us. But we don't care. Like, we've got a plan, and we're not bothered if, whether you think we've played like shit, we're not bothered whether we've got the right players to do it. Like, this is what we've come to do. And, yeah, the, I will never forget how anxious Camp Nou felt in the last 15 minutes of that that match because they were worried about what could happen. And I think regardless, like that would have been an amazing feeling for the, the team to to have pushed uh, a side who everyone refers to justifiably so as being the best in Europe for the past three seasons um, to feel nervous because not, not many people do that for Barcelona. I think that'll be a massive boost for next year. Um, because sometimes these things are the luck of the draw. Sometimes you just have to face teams at shit times. Um, you know, in another world, you think, oh, we play Barcelona in a final. Maybe it comes out different. But what you've got to do is you've got to take from from those moments and build on them and strengthen the squad, which is what's happening, and, and take those memories. And I think it was really important as well to, to write a new memory over 
over the Champions League final memory. Um, okay, let's go on to the other cup competitions quickly. Uh, we did win a third consecutive FA Cup. Um, we actually had... I, d- I hadn't really twigged this because the FA Cup felt like it goes on for so long and there's so much other stuff you're kind of interested in at the time. Obviously, big bulk of our FA Cup run was like dur- while we were still in the Champions League, which was obviously the focus. But we beat Liverpool, Arsenal, Reading, Aston Villa to get to the final, which... As runs to the final go, Ollie, like <laughs> we we were pretty convincing to to even get there. I don't think anyone would have it'd have been annoying, but I don't think you'd have faulted us for like going out to given that we had all this other stuff on the go to to those teams. But they made it look very easy, really, reaching that final. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably our toughest runs to the final. Well, so certainly that I can remember. Um, it. <laughs> I mean, it it felt like, again, that this is a competition where we feel pretty inevitable if we can get past the opening round, right? I, it feels to me like Chelsea women are just destined to the final if we can get off the ground. And it's, it, it's very similar to how I feel about the WSL. As soon as we get over our early kind of stutter, we always can kick into gear. So, yeah, I think, you know... Bar Reading, who you you would expect to kind of waltz past, sadly. Um, Like, we got over the fact that we'd lost to Liverpool early in the season, even though there was a kind of a couple of iffy moments we weren't going to that. Um, But yeah, beating Arsenal was very impressive. And then just the kind of professional job we did against Villa, um, away from home especially, after, I think it was like, we just played them or we were about to play them again um, in kind of back-to-back games. So yeah. It was it was very kind of assuring or assured that we were going to go through and go to Wembley and just kind of play our game and take home the trophy as we always do. And Sam Kerr was score. Yeah, I mean it, that's about as classic you can with all of these kind of important games. You can have Sam Kerr scoring, uh, and that is obviously what she did. Uh, Penilla Harder with a, a lovely, I guess, send off in a. Chelsea shirt as well with the assist for that goal. Um, it wasn't the most amazing FA Cup final we'll ever play. Uh, I don't know actually if anything will ever top the three 0 against Arsenal. So I'm kind of not bothered anymore because I'm like we played the best FA Cup final we'll ever play already. Uh, but ultimately, we did win, and that's what you're there to do at that point in time. Three consecutive FA Cups, one against City, Arsenal, and United. It was about the most comprehensive flourish on three consecutive FA Cups that that we could do, Ollie, in terms of having seen off a top four challenger in, in every one of those. And it just feels like it's it's Chelsea's trophy. And it's so funny to me because it is. Like when you look at it over recent years, it is Chelsea's trophy. But I grew up with it being Arsenal's trophy and I grew up watching Arsenal win every year and it's this real funny shift to be like, no, like we go to Wembley and and we win this thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, I think as a club, we've been to Wembley more than pretty much, the new Wembley pretty much more than any other club, maybe like the top six put together. I mean, we're that kind of dominant in terms of finals appearances. Um <laughs> So it's it's always gladdening when you come home with a trophy because we can't say that for the men's side for the last three times I've been there. Um, but yeah, it was like 
it was just Chelsea women, right? As soon as we brought on Penil, the game changed. We switched into gear, and there was only one way we were going, really. Like, Mark's going to have like, no chance in terms of changing the game. He'd have to take off his best players. They'd run themselves into the ground, and we looked inevitable. And we were. And then Sam Kerr, because Sam Kerr scores goals at Wembley, did her customary backflip because she promised Millie Bright she would. So why not? <laughs> Yeah, that that was also a big, big highlight. Um, Conti Cup as well, not so big a highlight. Uh, another weird competition in that you only play three games um, to lose the final. Uh, so yeah, we beat Spurs 3-1, West Ham 7-0. A game that I would say was one of my favourites of the season, apart from it's when Fran Kirby did her knee. But uh, we literally obliterated West Ham. It was very enjoyable. Um, went 1-0 up after two minutes, lost 3-1. Okay, we've talked about the first game of the season narrative. Where do you land on this awful Conti Cup habit we've picked up? Because this did feel very similar to the Man City game, but maybe worse in that it just felt like we absolutely melted down here. Okay, we picked ourselves up like in other bits of the season and it didn't become a big thing. We were playing loads of games in a really short space of time in March. Everyone knew that. But equally, basically having a footballing breakdown against Arsenal, who haven't won a trophy in a gazillion years, is one of the worst feelings in the world. Is this a, a long-term issue or is this just like, let's be real, the games pile up, you can't always like, concentrate for absolutely everything to to play these high level games and and get to the end in all the other tournaments yeah i think we touched on periodization a lot and how we prep our squad for the run-ins every single year um maybe it is something to look at because you know as everyone always points out it's only three games it's only two wins until you get to the final in the conti cup so it's not like it's coming out of nowhere and we are you know, the best team in England currently. So it is likely we are going to get to that cup final each year. So it might be a case of, you know, if you're getting to the latter rounds of the Champions League every year, if you're getting to a stage where you are in a title race every single year, maybe we need to plan, you know, a mid-season <laughs> periodization as well as a, an end-season periodization. I'm, I'm sure that would be an amazingly difficult effort to perform if you're the fitness team and they already go above and beyond in terms of the run-in. But it just felt like pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong after we went 1-0 up. Um, and I don't think that was down to just, you know, <laughs> that, that we were tactically outplayed, even though I think at points we did have a bit of self-defeating uh, attitude in terms of some more changes but yeah like it was a needless challenge for the for the penalty like Neve doesn't score own goals like that it was completely like a, a sort of surreal moment but it felt completely in fitting with the game like it felt like it was going to happen it didn't feel like we were going to come back from it and that's such a weird feeling as watching Chelsea women right so I think when, rather than if we get to another Conti Cup final, it's about adapting 
our kind of patterns of play around that, uh, making sure we're in the the best place possible, and maybe playing, you know, UWCL style football, where if we're not all fit and ready to go, come and beat us, try and get through us. You know, we don't have to be our all singing, all dancing, running Chelsea in that kind of game. As one of our four managers once said, finals are there for winning. And I'm sure Emma says that as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think actually that kind of touches on maybe my my most lingering concern of the season is that even though we've talked about the Leon game, which is like a comeback that I don't think will ever be topped in terms of, you know, snatching victory from the draws of defeat. But this kind of lingering sense that if we go behind, there is not a belief that we will come back. Um, and we didn't talk about the City game, but obviously that happened in the same period. It had very, very similar energy in that we conceded not freak goals, but like goals that like they they happen sometimes. They happen goals is what I will call them. Um you know, stupid challenges in the, the Conti Cup final, um, very, very good finishes in the Man City game, but both in games whereby we were in a reasonable margin of victory, but it felt like as soon as it we'd gone behind, that was it. Um, and I think that, that would be, like, my one concern, more than, like, the quality of the football, because I do think so much of that was... Uh, determined by who was available for us to play and with what time they'd had to prepare for games. That kind of mentality element, I think, is maybe the thing that gives me pause for thought as we head into next season in terms of being like, it just didn't feel very Chelsea. Um, I know lots of people like to go on the mentality monsters thing and I I think it's like kind of a, a reductive way of, I often feel like it's a reductive way of talking about how good Emma Hayes is at tactics. Um, that you're just like, oh yeah, Chelsea have an amazing mentality rather than a game plan. Um, but I do think they do have a good mentality or have in the past. They, you know, when we're talking about that Champions League run to the final, games whereby, to all intents and purposes, they should have been bang out of the game in terms of the chances they conceded. But they hung in there and they won and they, they turned that around. I don't know if we've seen that version of Chelsea this season. Um... And I think heading into next season, that would be really interesting because I guess, Ollie, what's really interesting as we look at next season is in some ways this has felt like a transition year, whether just because of injuries, whether because people have moved on, we've known other people are moving on. And we've got a whole crop of players who are really important signings, who've been signings I think we've wanted for a while. Um, Shurkin Nuskun, Kat Makaro, obviously already announced, we're still expecting Ashley Lawrence to come through the door at some point. How do you think those players impact the team and, and how how are you thinking about Chelsea next season when it feels like... You're actually right Um, when you said earlier, like Chelsea did have a big transfer window last year, but they weren't big-name players. It did feel like they were squad players. And so they had to like come in and adjust. Okay, Buchanan side, obviously. Um, But this transfer window feels like boom, like it's all been done early. It's positions we've wanted for a really long time. And Nuskin aside, they're really, really big names. Um, So how do you think that will affect next season? I think, like going back to what we were saying before, it 
it goes back to how many games we play as well. I think it, there's no coincidence that we're signing younger, right? Like Emma Hayes, it, you know, you could argue naturally, obviously you're not going to sign really old players that are at their peak because that's not really what we do. But even though obviously we did it with Sam and, and Panil, but it's like we're definitely signing younger players. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think we're looking at younger players because of the amount of energy we have to put out every single season. And, you know, obviously it's a privilege to play as many games as we do, right? But it means that we have to probably make sacrifices, like I would argue the Conti Cup final was. It felt like there was there was a kind of collective, not failure of ambition, but like a, a collective like pause where we were saying at 2-1 down, do we really want to do this? Like, do do we really want to get... And obviously everyone will deny it and, and probably rightly so. But <laughs> it's like, how much can we go into the red to claw this competition back? And that will affect us in the Champions League. That will affect us in the WSL. Can we actually put that level of performance out for the rest of the season if we do it now? And I think that's a sacrifice that they were thinking of week on a week-to-week -week basis. And that's why I think the signings of Kat Makaria, Shuknuskan, are like massive <laughs> i think they're absolutely massive and and if if uh cap can be fit hopefully you know for the start of next season and we do hit the ground running and we do have a younger player base with hopefully you know fewer injuries <laughs> fingers crossed then i think we're in a really really special place and then you can start talking about the tactical dominance and maybe not making sacrifices in games that we think we know we can win uh, or games where we can't put out the amount of, you know, energy we'd like to in order to play these really hard teams because the standard of the WSL is going up. You know, we keep saying it, but you're going to have to work harder to win this league. You're going to have to work harder in the cups to get through the rounds. So we do need a basic level of fitness across the squad that is probably unparalleled, I would argue, given how deep we go compared to pretty much every English team. But also, I'd argue the stand, stand of the league is really high, even though <laughs> we're so low in terms of the UEFA coefficient. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. And I think it'll be... I'm really excited to see what this iteration of the squad looks like because we've kind of touched on whether this was a transition year or not. And I think you can argue it both ways, but because I think the reality is, is like Chelsea are constantly in transition and that's the reason why we continue to look so good. But I think it's also clear that the players who are coming in this summer are a lot more players who, okay, with the caveat of we don't entirely know when Makara will be back, but they're players who you will hope will hit the ground running rather than squad players. Um, and I think that's a really exciting position to be in. Let's finish off, Ollie, for today with one big prediction for the 2023-24 season. Okay, so I've thought about this. And if if Kat Macaria, I'll put provisor, if if she is fit for the start of the season... I think Kat Macario will be our top scorer in all competitions next season. <gasps> that is a big prediction. Wow. Okay. Damn. Um, I 
don't know how I, I love that. That's such a good one. Uh, my one was going to be that we're going to win the Champions League. I said it last year. It's not a prediction. It's a manifestation. Didn't work last year. I'm going to make it work this year. You've got to start early with these things, with the manifesting vibes. What a better place to start now than June. Um, you know, we've we've only got 11 months to go to the final in Bilbao. Everyone's telling me Bilbao is a lovely city. Um, so I'm excited to be there to watch us lift the Champions League trophy. Um, that's my big prediction. Uh, okay, that wraps up our 22-23 season in review. Ollie, thank you for joining me as always. Pleasure as always. I look forward to our predictions coming true. Uh, I'm assuming yours, by the way, means that Samka still scores a million goals. It's just that Macario scores a million plus one. Oh yeah, we're just announcing a new partnership. Yeah, great. Okay, yeah, I can I can fuck with that. Uh, and our two predictions go quite well together because uh, I think that that could that could lead to good things. Um, we will be back very soon. We've got some cool things in the pipeline for you. Uh, Abdullah and I are going to sit down and do some kind of report cards slash analysis type things of all of the players from the squad this season. Have a bit of a chat about like who maybe will be in and out for next year. We will also have some detailed analysis for you on Kat Macario. Uh, who knows if, when, will Ashley Lawrence be announced. But if that does happen, we will obviously um, keep in touch about that. Maybe if Esther Gonzalez comes instead, we won't. No, I'm joking. If Esther did come, we would also analyse her. Uh, but I'd take Ashley Lawrence first. Thank you very much, Emma and Paul. All right, Chelsea fans, uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.